0: If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. Last week we began our discussion of this great text in Philippians 2 and uh, just really a brilliant proclamation that we have seen by Paul throughout the first two chapters up and to this point. From the incredible first chapter that proclaimed through prayer and the evidence of the gospel going forth in good times and in bad, the power of Christ, the amazing necessity that exists there of the proclamation of Paul's selfless service, and then the the overwhelming chapter 2, the focus on hope and unity that began that chapter. And many, you know, we often think that uh, in this wonderful book of Philippians that joy and rejoicing is the main theme, and it is indeed a theme, but many have rightly argued that unity of the church could well be the dominant theological message. And we have to consider that seriously. We have seen it powerfully in the first chapter. It introduced the second chapter, and we're going to see a massive dose of it again tonight at the end of the second chapter. So keep your eyes and your ears attentive to that understanding. And after we saw that focus on hope and unity in Christ and his humility, then we saw that massive section that theological just huge treatise on the two natures of Christ and that through those two natures and through Jesus' submission comes the picture of our obedience and And we need to look nowhere else. We can look through the Bible, we can read all the commands of the Bible, but nowhere is there a more powerful message about our command for obedience than in the understanding of Jesus' submission. God's submission to his Father, God's coming to this earth to live in this flesh. Often I've, I've heard comments and they're, they're extra biblical but there is some consideration for the fact that as the angelic realm, particularly those of the wicked nature, have looked down upon the sons of men. They have been disgusted to consider what flesh we dwell in, what darkness is in our heart, what sin continues to come forth every day and yet God continues to show mercy. When he would have no mercy upon the wicked angelic realm and cast them down. What amazing provision God has made for us. But what a picture must be of our obedience. And all of this causing our growth in sanctification. Our holy living without grumbling, without complaining. Something that is so difficult which we discussed at length. And in all of these things rejoicing. And then in verse 19 of this text, we make a major shift and all of a sudden we start talking about these intensely personal concerns of Paul. Now we've seen a little bit of that in the first chapter, but now all of a sudden he makes a wholesale turn and if it's all of a sudden like he picks up a whole nother topic and a whole nother book and he starts talking to us from this different perspective. And this is what our title reflects as Paul starts talking about these Urgent Personal Concerns, and our title is Meeting an Urgent Desire. We started on this last week, we'll continue and, Lord willing, finish tonight, Meeting an Urgent Desire. Our first point of meeting an urgent desire, which we saw last week, was sending a sympathetic servant. Paul was... Urgently desiring to send Timothy, and this was so that Paul would be encouraged to know of the Philippians. Paul was concerned about them. He didn't know what was going on in the church in Philippi. He's in jail in Rome. And so he wants Timothy to go because Timothy is his choice, trusted servant. We see the very same concern and expression and even facilitation where Paul does send Titus and Timothy in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. So here, Paul desires to send Timothy, but is unable to. So he wants to know because he wants to understand what's going on in their lives. Timothy was a sympathetic servant because of his genuine care, both for the Philippians and, of course, also for Christ. And Paul's urgent desire was expressed by his hope to send Timothy shortly in verse 19 and even immediately in verse 24. Well, as we considered... ...meeting this urgent desire and that first point, sending a sympathetic servant, that takes us now to our second point. And our second point of two in this text is sending a suffering soldier. Sending a suffering soldier. We first saw Paul sending a sympathetic servant in Timothy. Now his desire is to send a suffering soldier. Look at the verses with me, I'll read the whole section beginning in verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Philippians 2 and verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who was also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me." Meeting an urgent desire, and our second point, sending a a suffering soldier. Sending a suffering soldier. Paul's urgent desire is expressed in verse 25 by the necessity to send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a Greek name, which is important to understand as Timothy ministers, or as Paul ministers to the Gentiles. And here in Philippi, a predominantly Greek city, a city mostly populated by retired Roman legion soldiers, a city with no synagogue, uh, and, and here this, this powerful, strong church, and this Greek Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is a word, that his name means lovely or loving. It actually comes from... The, uh, originally, in the Greek text, it meant favorite of Aphrodite. Now, we're all here at Valentine's Day, and of course, you all know the Greek gods. No, I hope you've forgotten all of that. I hope you never learned any of that. But Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love. So, Epaphroditus, which did mean favorite of Epaphrodite, later came to mean lovely or loving. So here we have Epaphroditus and so important on Valentine's Day that we're talking about this lovely man and indeed he is. And so we have this this beautiful proclamation of his name that comes forward. And this is important in our section because not only because it's Valentine's Day but because the idea of love and unity permeates this entire section of the text. So it is almost a foreshadowing, if you will, of the mood and the tone that's going to be brought forward in the rest of this section of Scripture. Again, it's important because love is a paramount topic here in our verses and, of course, today. Epaphroditus was initially sent to Paul from the Philippians. In fact, if we turn ahead to chapter 4, turn with me, to chapter 4 and verse 18, we'll see that. Philippians 4 and verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God." So Epaphroditus has been sent from the Philippians with this love gift. What all it contained, we don't know. Almost certainly it would have contained some financial support, But much, much more than this, there is the strong likelihood that this would have contained a significant amount of preserved food. You remember that I talked to you before that this is Paul in a Roman jail. They're not bringing you your three squares. You're not getting, you know, grits for breakfast, grits for lunch, and grits for dinner. You're getting nothing. Nothing. If your friends aren't coming and bringing you food, you're not eating, and if you die in prison, they say, oh well, and they throw you out into the trash heap. There is no prisoner care. There is no concern. Interesting to understand, too, just the parallels. Although I don't want to get too far off on this, but as we consider our opportunities to go to Angola Prison on May 18th and 19th, Angola Prison back when I was a kid, and when some of you were there, or perhaps earlier in your married lives, Angola had the reputation of being the bloodiest prison in America. The prisoners would often have to step over the dead bodies on their way to the mess line. The sentences at Angola average over 80 years, which means those men will all die incarcerated. And that prison has radically changed and has been cleaned up in the most incredible way over about the last 15 years at the hand of a man by the name of Burl Kane who came in and said, it's time we start bringing the truth of the scripture to bear in the lives of these men. And it has had a a radical effect. And he also was a no-nonsense kind of warden and recognized that the rules of the state and all of the prisoner regulations that were going on were doing nothing other than causing more men to get dead in his prison. And he said, no longer on my watch. Tremendous book that he's written. If you're interested, I'd love to get you the title of that. Well, we see here, this was Paul's condition, so they bring this love gift to him. Epaphroditus brings it. And then we see Paul's love for Epaphroditus in his extended description in verse 25. Paul uses five different descriptive terms to discuss him here in verse 25. He begins, he is my brother. He's speaking here, yes, about a religious connection, but so much more. When Paul speaks of someone as his brother, it is someone who is closer than a a blood brother. I suspect some of you can relate to that. I'll tell you I can. As I look around this room and I see you who are my brothers, most all of you are closer to me than my blood brother. And I am, I am overwhelmed at that truth. And I'm thankful. And I am so much better for it. The Lord has told us, didn't He? He said, You know, Peter, after we go through the whole discussion of the rich man who can't enter heaven, for it's easier for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And Peter says to the Lord, Well, Lord, we've, met, we've left houses and homes, and what will we receive? And the Lord says, You will receive many times more, not only in the age to come but in this age and he and he later says that same statement as his mother is looking for him and he looks around the church and he says behold my mothers and my brothers and my sisters many times more brothers and sisters have I in Christ many who are closer many who I can trust and love And so Paul calls Epaphroditus a brother, a close one, beautifully connected and expressing his love. Well, not only do we see him as his brother in verse 25, but he is his fellow worker. As love is expressed with brother, there is a unity that is expressed with a fellow worker. Think of a job that you've had, and and most of them, uh, we become so segregated and, and separated and really not segregated, but specialized in our workforce today. There are not folks who are often engaged with us in parallel tasks, as it was oftentimes when uh, when I had a job in high school working in the, uh, working for the city in the maintenance department uh, on the lawn maintenance, we maintained the school yards, we maintained the cemeteries. And when you sit and when you go out at five in the morning and you haul pipe with a couple guys, you know, dumping the aluminum pipes and picking them up and carrying them over the headstones for the next set, and you do that all day, all summer long, there's a brotherhood that forms there. This is a common worker. I know those that work and I know those that are slackers, and we're moving two to three pipes to their one, right? You know that. And that's what he's saying, this is my fellow worker. He works like I work. He is like me in his heart for you and for ministry. So there is a unity that's coming forth that is powerful in this. And he is not only my brother and my fellow worker, but he is also my fellow soldier. He's a warrior. We're not just talking here about the proclamation of the gospel, although we are. But he is a man who will stand toe-to-toe in battle with me. Whatever that battle may be. He is one who will defend the truth. He is my protector. He is a fellow soldier. So these are powerful proclamations of Epaphroditus. Strong acknowledgement of who he is. Well, notice the last two terms are governed by a different pronoun. The first two by the pronoun my relating to Paul then he changes and now they're governed by the pronoun your returning to the or referencing the the church in Philippi your and now he says in verse 25 and who is also your messenger he is your messenger messenger here in the Greek is the word apostolos apostolos that's where we get our English word apostle. Now well, that doesn't mean that he was the one who was with Jesus. He was not one of the twelve. He is one who is sent by the people of Philippi. This is a very important distinction for us to realize. This is not one like Timothy who Paul chose. Paul's going along in his ministry and he recognizing the, recognizes these two incredibly godly women. And he sees this son. And he sees that the son is steeped and is following the tradition of his mother and of his grandmother. And Paul says, I will take you. And he takes Timothy and he has him circumcised. Not so with Epaphroditus. He is sent from the church. He is a special one who the church has said, you will be the one. And this will ring through the rest of our text. So it's very important we see this. This is not Paul's choosing of him. This is the church's recognizing and sending out. By the way, that's what the church is to do today. They're still to recognize, to minister, to nurture, and to send out. So a a beautiful picture for us is painted in this one who is your messenger, the one you have sent. And not only is he that, but our fifth description in verse 25, he is also a minister to my need or literally your minister to my need. He's been sent out as a servant. He's one who, they realized Paul had problems. Paul's going to need some help. He started this church. He is so beloved. And he's in jail. He's languishing. He's dying in jail. We've got to help. So we're going to send Epaphroditus. We're going to load him up. We're going to come up with all the cash we can gather. We're going to get all of the preserved food that he can hold. And we're sending him. And he's going. So these are vital phrases, and Epaphroditus has this ministry not only with, but also to Paul. These terms are showing us the love and the unity that exists between Paul and Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus and Paul, but also Epaphroditus and the church There is a mutual love and unity that's going forth in these five powerful proclamations. Confirms that Epaphroditus is fulfilling the role for which he was sent. And this is very important because as Paul sent Epaphroditus back, it was important for them to understand that he wasn't being sent back because he was rejected. And that could happen. You know, you've been a slacker. It's unfortunate that we don't look into that today, there are, and, I, and I think that we are in a strong position in our church, but I will tell you, there are missionaries all over the world who are on vacation ministry. I'm out here in South America, and I've been here for 35 years, and we've got 15 kids, and we've had two converts, and you're paying the bill while we're down here living. And I hate to say it, but that is an exact story of missionaries whom a church that I used to be involved with supported. And there are way too many. And so this is not the case with Epaphroditus. He is one who had fulfilled his ministry, and Paul is proclaiming that, that they would not respect or misunderstand that Paul was displeased with him. And these five terms show that certainly that was not the case. Well, having seen that love and unity between Paul and Epaphroditus in verse 25, we turn to see the love and unity between between Epaphras and the Philippians, which has begun to be expressed, further carried forward in verse 26, where it says, "...because he was longing for you all, and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick." Epaphroditus was longing or yearning for the Philippians. We see this same word used back in verse 8 of chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. There's a longing, there's a yearning, there's a desperate desire that is being expressed here that, that he has for them all. Paul uses this same term in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. In 2 Timothy 1 and 4, he writes, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. We understand this longing when we are apart from those that we love. And so there is this longing, this yearning that Epaphroditus has. He was longing for you all, for, that is, for you all, Philippians. And that longing that he has, which reflects this great desire, is not because he was homesick, not because he wanted to leave Paul because the ministry was too hard. The rest of the verse tells us the story. It says that he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He's not longing for them because he wants to get back. It's a concern for them. You've heard that I'm sick. You understand the importance of my job. And so I'm concerned that you're going to be worried about me. And so I am burdened by that. He does not want them to have this concern. It was the burden of their concern for him. He knew knew that they had great love for him and that they were worried. So he too, because of his love, was concerned about them. Beloved, this is genuine love between believers. This is just what we talked about two weeks ago in Hebrews 13:1, As it proclaimed for us the necessity for love to continue. Let love of the brethren continue. That love must continue to move forward. And we saw even in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, that incredible proclamation of how there is a a manifestation and even a progression of love, where it says in 1 Peter 1 and 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And you remember as we discussed those verses, that first term is that phileo love, it is the devotional love. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere devotional or phileo love of the brethren, then fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently agape love one another from the heart. Let your love grow because you have a devotional love, and we're commanded to have a devotional love, each one of us one for another, no exceptions. So because of that, our agape love is to thrive and to grow. And it is that incredible love that's being manifest here in Epaphroditus' concern. This is his agape love. Beloved, is this not the understanding we have as we have prayed for and thought about each of these in our church family, those immediate to our family and our family and friends who are suffering significantly? What great burden do we have? And particularly when those are of our own family, our own brothers and sisters, our own fellow workers, our own soldiers in the service. Can you remember back to two years and six weeks ago when our brother was languishing and near death and one of our deacons went to ministered to him and came back to speak to our elders and said, unless the Lord intervenes, that brother does not have much time. (laughs) What did God do? Did you pray? Did you plead to God night and day? I'd known him for weeks and I was doing it, and I know you all the more. This is where they were. This is what was the understanding of their concern for Epaphroditus being sick. They are pleading, they are desperately desirous to get to him and to care for him now. They've sent him to minister to Paul and now he's gone down. There's a huge expression of love here. And then verse 27 indicates the level of his sickness. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me. So that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow no mere common cold sick to the point of death they might they might his concern is they might send someone else he's sick paul needs help he might die we're worried about him he needs minister to paul needs minister to we better get busy and send someone else We're not talking about jumping on an airplane and going to the other side of the earth as big and major a trip as that is. This is a trip from Philippi to Rome which would only be accomplished via ship. Do we need to go back to Acts 27 and remember the danger of the journey? This may well have been during winter when travel was effectively impossible through that time of year. By land, no chance. You had to go north around the Aegean Sea to get back through the Alps down into northern Italy to get back to Rome. Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen. So they're concerned. He's concerned that they might send someone else. There's this earnest burden and there he is near death. But God had mercy on him. And now we see God's love for Epaphroditus. We've seen their love for him, his love for them, Paul's love for Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus' love for Paul. Now we see the supreme expression of love in God. But God had mercy. (laughs) Do you rejoice in God's mercy, beloved? Do you wake up every day and realize what glories and graces are ours because we know the King? Because our eyes have been opened and the scales have been removed as surely as they were from Paul. What a glorious truth. Mercy on Epaphroditus, but notice not just on him, also on Paul. Paul would have been deeply grieved. Literally would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Grief upon grief. And God had mercy. Mercy. Has God had mercy on you? Has he had mercy on this church? How many times have we seen his mercy in preserving and restoring? How do we continue to plead for his mercy that we too would not have grief upon grief as we think of these in our body who are struggling? And how much more need we be empowered to plead for that mercy and that grace? Verse 28 returns to Paul's eager desire as it's further expressed where it says in verse 28 therefore i have sent him with all the more I, therefore i have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again you may rejoice and i may be less concerned about you paul is sending epaphroditus so that all may rejoice in his return this is the rejoicing because of god's mercy and it's to go on this is a, this is a continuous verb The rejoicing when they see Epaphroditus is not, hey, we're going to have a party and it's going to be over. This is on and on to see God's mercy. We too are to be reminded, why do we have these wonderful memories? That we can look back and see God's mercy we can see his grace and we can continue to glory we can know that he is continue continuing to act in his mercy because god is all merciful he's not merciful at sometimes loving at sometimes judging at other times he is all love he is all mercy and he is continuing to extend that mercy and that grace this rejoicing is also because of his successful ministry He's coming back. He's done the work. He's carried the prize. Paul has been encouraged. You know, this reminds us of a short-term missions trip. Do you know how important those trips are to a church? My philosophy, and I believe the philosophy of this church is, is that we just don't send someone out to do a short-term missions trip, and they do their thing, and then they come back, and that's that. Now, my goal is that when we engage in these kind of trips, it is an effort of the body. It is a family that's able to go out in whatever form they are single, couple, children and they can go on this ministry and they can engage in what is happening in that field and they can come back and they can inspire the church because everyone can't go, but everyone can be encouraged. And everyone can be carried up to say, look at the work God is doing here. That's why we attempt to have all of these who go to be able to report and to talk to us about what God is doing in these various fields. And this is what's happening as he comes back. It is like someone coming back from a short-term mission. And their rejoicing also will bring more peace to Paul. He'll he'll be able to recognize things are okay there, and I can have some rest in what's going on. Paul further instructs and exhorts in verse 29 where he says, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Paul commands that they receive him then in the Lord. That's a really critical phrase. It connects our whole section. If you bounce back to verse 19, it begins and it says, but I hope in the Lord. I hope in the Lord. You go to verse 24, it says, but I trust in the Lord. And now Paul commands them, receive him in the Lord. It is. It could, all of those commands would have carried essentially the same meaning without that prepositional phrase, in the Lord. But it ramps it up. It ramps it up. We don't just have hope. And Christian hope is not hope like the world as we've talked. It's assurance. But this is hope in the Lord. This isn't trust like I I know I can trust that this is going to happen. This is trust in the Lord. There is no chance that this won't happen. This is not just a receipt like I'm glad to have him back and receiving. This is receiving in the Lord. This is receiving like the father who received back the prodigal son, who put the ring on his finger and brought the robe for him and sent the servants out to kill the fatted calf. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and with all expression of exuberance. Wonderful to see these three phrases and the way they tie together the importance of the Lord in this exuberant return. And all of the men like him are to be respected. All men in the church doing this overt ministry are to be honored. They are to be lifted high. What does Hebrews 13, 17, a text we'll get to in our morning service in a couple weeks say? Familiar to us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Notice, obey your leaders, not just your elders. Obey your leaders, those who are in ministry over you. Submit to them and keep as those who keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. All of the men that are doing this work are to be carried forward. Deacons, elders, all who are to be lifted high because it is a recognition of the work that they do. They are our representatives. They are standing before the Lord. They will give an account to the Lord. Further expression of this joy and honor is shown in verse 30 where it says, Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete was de- what was deficient of your service to me. Here we have Epaphroditus' sickness again brought up, but now we see that sickness is because of his work for Christ. He's out there all the time ministering to Paul and for Paul. As the work of Paul, as we saw back in chapter 1, went out through All of the praetorian guard and then through all of Rome, doubtlessly these that are ministering are part of those emissaries that are carrying forth the gospel. And this is part of the reason that Epaphroditus is sick to the point of death. Because he is doing so for the work of Christ. Hold him in high regard. He is ready to do this at the cost of his very own life. This is a unique perspective, beloved, in Christianity. And some might say, well, wait a minute, there's all the, the martyrs of all of the other faiths. That is not at all the same. This is one who desires to live for Christ, but that even if his life should be called from him for that service, he is willing to allow it to go. These aren't these absolute imbeciles who are just going to die to try to get to heaven. That is a complete Counter truth to the work of God. This is death that is that as John 15, 13 describes, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Epaphroditus is out there laying it down for Paul and for the work of Christ. And so because of that, he is to be held in honor because he risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The work and risk of death from sickness was to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now, we need to be careful with that. It sounds like maybe this could be a rebuke. If it was, it would be the first so in the book. Because throughout this point, Paul has elevated the Philippian church above every church. So if this were a rebuke, it would be the first. We must understand these terms to know exactly what he's saying. Because it is not a rebuke. This was not a deficiency in their service, but a deficiency in their presence. They could not all go to Rome. Okay, it's not like, all right, we've got to take the long way around the bay to get over to Foley to minister to Bill because he's needing some help and the bridge is out. Okay, well, we'd make it. We'd get there, right? Right? Of course we'd get there. You get there. This is talking about all of us getting on a boat that many will likely die on to go to Rome over a a month or a two-month journey. They just couldn't all go. There was a deficiency in their ability to be present. That is the deficiency that's being spoken of here. And because of this, they chose Epaphroditus. This is where this comes from. This is the importance of realizing they chose him to be their emissary, to be their minister, to be their soldier, to be the one who would carry forth this gift to Paul because they were unable to go. And in this, he is filling up what is lacking in them. He's filling up their inability as he goes forth to minister. This was creating great joy. This is creating great unity. This is creating tremendous love and a massive expression of mutual love. Beloved, what a picture this is for us. This is how we are to be. This is how many of you are when one of our own is ill or sick and is in need of a visitation or is in need of a meal or is in need of someone to sit with a loved one at a hospital. But what a picture this is for us. How much rejoicing is going on amongst us as we see others going, as we see others doing, and as we are encouraged to go ourselves. Because in many of our cases, there are not deficiencies in our ability to go to these ministries short term. But how much more then also for those that are for our missionaries in Lebanon, in Italy, in Colombia, in Uganda, in Papua New Guinea, these are the men that we are to rejoice in, them and their families that are proclaiming Christ. We ought to be lifting them up. We will to be praising God for them continually in Russia and all of these places. How much should we be rejoicing in the ministries that are going on as a result of the work which we are seeking to do here locally? So therein, are we seeking? Are we growing Are we carrying the light of the gospel message to the world around us? This is a perfect picture of love and unity. And that perfect picture is an expression of ministry going out wherever there is a need. How big is the need in our world? We need only think of a few hours ago in Florida, in Kentucky two weeks ago, around our country, and right here at home, one of our own brothers whose cousin is shot down in cold blood at Halloween. It's everywhere about us, beloved. Our goal is through the love, through the unity, through the mercy of God, to carry forth the gospel message. And what a joy we get to know that we can be and must be fellow participants at this level. May God be pleased to use us.